we had three houses completed and off the market and sold, but two we didn't sell. And those two ended up losing about $200,000 on by the time it's said and done, because it took about two years to sell those. Interesting thing is that after we realized there was no money to be made, he lived about a mile and a half away from each of these properties. But I would have to come three hours to cut the grass because when there was no money in it for him, he walked away. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Valuation Masterclass Online, the complete proven step-by-step -step course to guide you from novice to valuation expert. Podcast listeners can claim your amazing 35% discount by going to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Matthew Frederick. Matthew, are you ready to rock? Oh, I'm ready. You look like you are. All right. Well, and today's the first interview of the year for me. So I'm really happy to have you on and ready to kick off an awesome 2020. And to all the listeners out there, I hope that your 2020 is fantastic. I have one piece of advice for all of us, and that is pick one action, just one action that you'd like to take on a daily basis and work to take that one action. For me, I try to get outside of my apartment every single day, first thing in the morning. And that is my trigger to go out and exercise. So that's for me. What about you, Matt? Do you have any, uh, any, any ideas of actions that you're going to take this year that have worked either last year or you want to take in the year 2020? You know, one thing I realized is about half hour before I wake up every morning in my dreams, I actually see my problems and solutions pop up. And if I don't write them down right away, I forget them. So I'm going to start writing down those situations, those solutions that pop into my mind, have a pen and paper right beside the bed or a little recorder. That's awesome. It's a great concept. And for the young people listening to this, you know, given that Matthew and I are pretty close in age, I was born in July. What month were you born? I was January. Okay. So we're very close in age. We're not going to give away the year that we were born just yet. <laughs> <laughs> but what I would say also is, uh, you know, sleep is so important. And it is amazing how as when I was a head of research and I had to write research every day and I had to come up with a weekly research piece that would, you know, would be a good strategy piece. It was very many nights I would leave, leave the office frustrated. I couldn't really get something valuable, something that I really wanted to write. And I had a lot of ideas, but I just had to hit a block. And by going to sleep and just letting your mind kind of reconstruct things, empty out things, you do get to a point where, you know, you start to, reconstruct you know and, and put the the connections together and it's amazing how often i would just wake up and it would all start coming together and then i would kind of race to the office and start writing <laughs> <laughs> so yeah let's let's value our sleep and the process that goes on in it great idea for this year all right well let me introduce you to the audience so with 28 years of experience in real estate investing there is not a strategy that matthew frederick has not executed which includes residential, commercial, new development, raising capital, USA, offshore, and coaching. Matthew started in real estate, uh, residential income property, then expanded to buy, fix, sell, lease option, commercial buildings, and new 
development projects. Matthew has led on renovating 50 plus properties, has experience with building 240 houses and low rise condo buildings. He now focuses on teaching people how to manage commercial portfolios, including plazas and multifamily buildings, plus coaching investors in real estate and business acquisition. Matt's mindset is one of always learning. This has resulted in his being able to develop alternative and creative approaches while mentoring investors. Matt, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. You know, it's been an interesting life so far. I have a young daughter, she's 12. And I love the fact that today I can spend more time with her and do a lot of things that you know, I wouldn't have been able to do if I was a younger father in my 20s. So I, I do appreciate uh, you know, real estate because it has provided me with what I need to do the things I want to do. And what's more important to me, most important, is my little girl, my princess. Fantastic. And it's a good reminder that a lot of people are running to make money, but the, what's the objective of making money? The objective of making money is getting time to do the things that we value the most. And you're a great example of that. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Well, the interesting thing about this investment is I didn't have to do it, number one. And number two, most people make mistakes when they're new, new investors, amateurs. I made this mistake as an expert. So it's an interesting flip. But I had a friend, and he lived in a city three hours away. He needed some money for his, his family. And he said to me, he can find five houses in that city. And if he found them, if I would put up the money, he would renovate them. At the same time, I was renovating three properties, three and a half hour flight away from me. So I'm in Hamilton, Ontario, and I was renovating in Edmonton, Alberta, plus in Hamilton. So this is a long distance for me in the sense that I couldn't spend the time in Windsor to, to watch the process. But he had renovated before. I knew him and I said, okay, I'll do it. So I bought the properties. He said to me he had five crews standing by. So it'd be a very quick 45 day, 50 day, you know, two month quick process. These are low to middle income properties. This is just cosmetic renovation, nothing major. And we're looking at about $20,000, $25,000 and just easy flips to make about 60000 And that was supposed to be it. Unfortunately, once things started happening, I realized quickly he didn't have five crews. He had one crew. And his great negotiating skills was to negotiate things without getting invoices. At the same time, I knew that he was not somebody who paid attention to details. But again, in this case here, I was trying to save a friend. And I just figured, because I had years of experience, my experience will compensate for his lack of, let's say, integrity. Mm -hmm. or his lack of ability to follow through. And boy, was I surprised. Because in 2007, the US market fell and Windsor is attached to Detroit. And as the US economy collapsed, we had three houses completed and off the market and sold, but two we didn't sell. And those two ended up losing about $200,000 on by the time it's said and done, because it took about two years to sell those. Interesting thing is that after we realized there was no money to be made, he lived about a mile and a half away from each of these properties. But I would have to come three hours to cut the grass because when there was no money in it for him, he walked away. And really, one of the biggest situations is that today he calls me and says, hey, let's do this again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And I say to him, well, 
you'll have to consider that. I'll have to put that in the back burner. But, but ultimately, the market fell in the U.S. We sold three. And by the time we sold the other two, which we had renovated completely for a resale, but we couldn't sell them. We had to rent them. So all the great renovations for resale ended up being tarnished because we didn't harden them for rental. So by the time we did sell them, all that extra value was not there anymore. Mm. So, and what is the difference, by the way, experience. when you renovate for rental versus renovate for resale? Well, when I renovate for rental, it's like wearing a jacket and putting, you know, extra pads on the elbows, parts that move, or if you have a suit, you know, sewing in a, a second crutch, or even putting, a, you know, patches on the knees. It doesn't look so great, but all moving parts are going to break. And when I renovate for rental, I harden certain areas. So, you know, I, I harden certain floor areas. I make sure that, you know, my taps are strong. I make sure that doors are solid. Anything that moves, anything that can break, I put the money into that to make it stronger. But if I'm actually selling for buy, fix, and sell, I'm looking more for beauty. Because an owner of a house will be probably more subtle on a property than a tenant. So, in other words, I design it as a Jeep versus a Honda Civic. Mm, okay, got it. You know. Fantastic. And by the way, how is this whole thing happening now? Is it still going on or were you able to exit those? So I, I actually exited about two years after. Mm-hmm. And, but for two years, I just held them. I had tenants in there. I watched the tenants slowly wear down the properties. And I just, you know, held my own. I had other investment properties. I had, you know, commercial buildings and so on and so forth. So I could have, you know, put more money into it. But ultimately, it was a lesson that I learned. And I wanted to just make sure I allowed myself to, let's say, feel the pain. Yep. Yep. Okay. And so let's go through what lessons that you learned from this. Well, the main thing is I knew up front that he was a dependent person, a person who did not accept responsibility. So if I'm a person who accepts responsibility and I circle myself with people who do not, then they tend to pull you down. And I knew that going in. So I took full responsibility because I knew it up front. Mm-hmm. Number two, I knew he didn't, he didn't collect data. He didn't collect information. So I should have put into plan, which I normally do. I normally get all my bills at the end of, a, the end of a week. But for him, I let it go for three months in order to have him tally all the bills and give it to me. So I broke one of my rules. And I broke the rule again as an expert, not as an amateur. At the same time, in the end, he said to me, somebody broke into his car and took his, his briefcase with all my bills. So when I did end up selling the properties, I couldn't write off a lot of the expenses. Obviously, I know that he probably wrote off those expenses himself for some other properties he worked on. But to keep the peace, I just accepted it because ultimately, it was my responsibility. It was my fault. But, but the biggest lesson I learned is I'm not going to be able to compensate for people's shortfalls just because I have lots of experience. At the same time, I find that every six or seven years, when I feel as though I'm invincible, I'm flying too close to the sun, my wings get burnt and I tend to fall. So having seen that number of times in the past 28 years, I now try not to fly too close to the sun. And at the same time, I have a protocol in place that even though I'm an expert at what I do, I have to go back to formula and always keep going back and doing the basics. You know, the space shuttle flew 25 times and then exploded. That problem existed from day one. 
So thinking that because you're doing something right and because your result is success, that everything is okay, is just not the right way to think. And that's what I was doing. That's a great point. You know, the idea is that the seeds of our mistakes, the seeds of our destructions are actually right there. And just because by chance or for some particular reason, they haven't come out doesn't mean that they're not there. So that helps us to keep aware. Let me uh, summarize what I took away from your, from your discussion. The first thing is when investing with other people, I like to talk about a few things. The first one is trust. If you don't trust the person, walk away. First thing. The second thing is, let's say you trust the person and you know, you've known them for a while and you think that they, the next question is, is the idea good? And that, whether that's flipping a house, renting a house, whether that's investing in the stock market, whether that's opening a restaurant, you've got to be really excited about this idea. Like this is a good idea. If you trust them, but the idea is bad, walk away. So let's say you trust them. The idea is good. The next question is, can this person execute? And, you know, there's many great ideas out there, but the question is who can take that to the hoop? As I like to say, you know, my, our era, of course, was Michael Jordan. The thing about right. Michael Jordan is he just was a magnet for the hoop. With that, you know, it didn't matter how pissed off the players on his team were with each other, how frustrated, how, you know, he would grab that ball and get it in the hoop. And is the person that you're investing with the type of person that can execute this? And then the final thing, so if you have trust, the idea is good, and you believe that they can execute on it, really the next question is money. And I think the big lesson that I've learned over the years is make sure you're not the only provider of money, if particularly if it's a startup type of situation. Otherwise, you get trapped because everything requires more money. So that's my first kind of takeaway is that really, even though this was kind of a good idea, it seemed like a good idea, it probably should have just been stopped at the point where you said, do I trust this guy? Not really. But that's when you said, okay, my experience may overcome that. Yes, I totally agree. Because ultimately, I knew him to be an exaggerator. He would say, this place has the best pizza. You can buy the best suits there. So I knew he exaggerated, number one, but I let it go. And number two, because I had come back in the fourth quarter so many times, I just figured, "Ah, if I didn't watch it too close, it's okay. Because of past success, I'll come back in the fourth quarter. I'll make that shot. And I realized, no, you can't always come back in the fourth quarter. And past success is no prediction of the future. Yep. And also, I don't want to come back in the fourth quarter. I want to consistently build over time. You know, exactly. who, who wants to you know, come back and try to recover something? The second thing that I take away from it that's an important lesson that, you know, it wasn't what you didn't discuss about it that much, but the idea of diversification. As you said, I had other buildings, I had other things. You know, the amateur person out there who's listening, you know, one of the biggest mistakes people make is that they find this idea and then they put all their money into it. But in this case, it wasn't a disaster for you because you had other properties. This was a portion of your allocation of your wealth. So my second takeaway is that this could have been a lot worse if, you know, if you weren't experienced enough to know that you don't put all of your money into one particular project. Exactly. (laughs) Now, the third thing I took away is follow your process. Particularly as you've been developing your process over time, you know, we know what works for us. And what happened was you didn't follow your process at different times. You know, I thought about letting the bills go for three months. And 
in one of my businesses, we let something slip in the accounting for a while. And we just kept justifying, well, you know, I know they're super busy and all that, but you know, we weren't getting the numbers. And then eventually by the time we tried to get a handle on it, it was a much bigger problem than, you know, than if we had dealt with it. So the idea is follow your process. And one idea too is to get, get a third party involved, a secretary, a supporting staff, that what they do is they collect the bills. And they're not, there's no emotional inv involvement. They're just calling for say, I need that bill. That's my job is to collect these bills. So a exactly. way to solve and follow that process is the idea of you know, getting a third party involved to just keep you in check. And then my last takeaway that I, I really, I like from this story, which is not that common, particularly with young, younger people when let's say we get excited. And I wrote the words, keep the peace. And yes. you know, a lot of times I remember my sister was going through a very difficult time in her life, in business and personal life. And it was like she was, you know, trudging through mud, or you could even say manure. And it was just absolutely awful. And she was too far into this huge pile that she couldn't turn back, but it was still a long way to go to get to the end of this, you know, could imagine a pool full of manure. And as I said there at one point, you know, if you're in the middle of it, just stop splashing around, just keep walking. <laughs> You know, you're just exactly. making a mess for yourself and everybody else. Just keep walking. And the idea of keeping the peace, you know, so many people get so mad and they get scared. You know, fear is the ultimate thing. And when you get afraid, you get mad, you know, as a defense mechanism. And then you end up turning confrontational. And I, I've lived in Thailand for 28 years. And what I've learned over those years that I've learned from Thai people is that you know, there's good and bad to it, but Thai people really try to avoid confrontation at all costs. Now, my objective in my life is not necessarily to avoid confrontation, but you don't need to bring it on. And so I think that what I liked about your story was that you kind of recognize what mistakes I made in this and let's get through this. And I really like that. So this idea it's really, of- It's really important. It's really important because ultimately you do have to pick your battles and spend your energies in the right area. At the same time, you know, I knew I couldn't change him. I knew I could change me because he, he did not even identify that he made a mistake. So I decided, okay, I'm not going to change him. I'll change me. I'll make sure that everything you said, I'll just make sure that I, I follow my rules and, and do what has to be done. And you know what? Just appease the, the situation. Mm. Yep. All right. So based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate. And maybe we should just go back to the moment in time when this deal came to you and he talked to you and you were going through the decision process. I'm sure there's a lot of people that you've coached and that you've seen that have been at that moment, you've been at that moment. What one piece of advice, just one, would you recommend that they do at that moment in time? You know, sometimes you have to learn to say no. And I knew that it was not the right deal. I knew I couldn't oversee it. It was not the right time. And I knew he was not the right person, but I did it to try to rescue him. And sometimes, you know, some people who do not, who can't swim, they jump into the water to rescue people and they both drown. I was fortunate that I was able to swim, so I survived. But I should have said to him, let's find somebody else who can be there to oversee you in the process. So I should have said no, but I didn't. And 
I learned my lesson. Got it. So a great advice, learn to say no. And I, I think that, you know, you had logical things going on that made sense to you there. But I imagine also that there's some intuition, that there's a feeling at the moment. Yes. And I think exactly. one of the things that I've learned after, you know, more than 180 plus interviews that I've done is that this intuition plays a bigger role. And part of preventing mistakes is noticing the subtle, the subtle triggers of intuition and listening to them and taking a moment and letting them come on board. Right. Yeah. I agree. Yep. All right. Last question. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months? I'm going to spend more time educating people. I really have spent so many years gathering information and I really enjoy working with people one-on-one -on -one mostly and getting results. It's important. Even a show like this, you know, we talk a bit about some of our failures and we do have to forgive ourselves for our failures. That's important. But we do have to forgive ourselves for our successes as well. Because if you succeed, sometimes the people around you who are not, it's almost like a, a lone survivor syndrome. You survive the plane crash and you feel guilty. So forgive yourself for those successes also so that you don't feel guilty. And my number one goal is to help people to forgive themselves for their, their failures and also for their successes help them move to the next level. Fantastic. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Matthew, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. In addition, I want to congratulate you. You are now officially free of this worst investment ever. And you have taken your worst investment and turned it into your best learning moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? You know, I thank you so much for allowing me to, to be on here. If I have to say one thing, learning is great. Make sure you apply. You know, if you have to read 10 books this year, maybe you read four and apply them before you start the next four. Beautiful. And what a great way to kick off the new year. Learn and apply. Fantastic. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.